Welcome this morning. It's good for us to be together. I'm Reg Taves, the past, uh, transitional pastor here at uh, Forest Grove Community Church. Welcome to those of you who are at Attridge, those of you who are online. It's great to be together, to gather together in the Lord's name and to worship Him together. If you've been coming here for a long time, I especially want to welcome you here. And if you're new this morning, I also want to say welcome here. It's good for us to gather together. As we begin and continue in our series and begin this morning with Psalm 40, I invite you to turn to that, uh, go to open your app, uh, find a Bible. We're going to be having communion. If you're online, you might want to, you can even pause this and then go get your elements and come back and you'll catch up. And if you need uh, elements, uh, you can uh, ask for those. The ushers will, I'll mention it a bit later as we get into that. You can ask the ushers if you don't have anything with you uh, right now. We'll do that a bit later. I, I'm not sure about you, but I do not like waiting. Do you like waiting? Are you a patient person? Do you see yourself as being patient? I, I think I'm, I'm patient. I, I can be. But my wife would go like, yeah, there are times where you're really impatient, Reg. Like you're just, you're not very patient. You're not good at waiting. And most of us are not used to waiting. Like we live in a society that's pretty instant. You don't know something, what do you do? You pick up your phone and you Google it. What does it say about it? What do we know? Like well, we can figure this out. Like right now we're going to answer the question. We don't do the waiting thing. And yet, waiting is really what we're all about. How many of you like to order stuff online? That's sort of become a thing, right? You order stuff online. Here's a picture I want to show you about waiting. You know, your order has been shipped. And you're standing at the door like, okay, come on. Where is this? I know where we're living. They've had a few packages delivered. Uh, They're here this morning. And they know this, you know, like, we're waiting for this package. It's going to show up. Uh, Maybe that's you. You're waiting for the package to show up. You're not sure this idea of waiting. In Psalm 40, David is writing this psalm, and he talks about waiting. And if you look at the psalm, you'll notice at the beginning he says, I waited. And then if you go to the very end of the psalm, he says these words, do not delay. So God, would you do something and yet, God is saying, can you wait patiently? Are we willing to wait for God to respond? Or do we just push things forward? So often in my life, I've been like, oh, let's just do something. Let's just make something happen. I'd rather have movement than nothing. And so we tend to push it, and we're not good at waiting. So this morning, I want to talk a little bit about waiting, and then what we were, what people have been, what Uh, in history what we're waiting for and how God has provided in the midst of our waiting and how he even wants to provide today. So this is a reasonably long psalm. It's 17 verses and I I don't know about you but I am going to read it for us this morning and I want you just to, if you're here this morning, if you would just even listen. Sometimes it might be good for you if you like to follow along, read along with me. I'm reading out of the New International Version and if not, you know, it could be that, that sometimes as I listen to God's Word, I often will set my Bible aside and actually just close my eyes and open my hands and then just listen. Lord, what is it you want to say to me as I listen to the Word of God being read to me? So that's what you want to do this morning, or you can follow along uh, in your app or in your Bible reading from NIA. Psalm 40, a psalm of David. I waited patiently 
for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. None can compare with you. We're at his speak and tell of your deeds. They would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am. I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. Proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my, my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love or your faithfulness from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me, for troubles without numbers surround me. My sins have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. May all who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say, the Lord is great. But as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. Let's pray. Father, as we look at these words, as we've repeated these words, as we've spoken these words of this hymn that was given to the Israelites, that was given to us, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes, that you would open our hearts, that you would open our minds to receive the word that you have for us this morning. As we look at what is spoken in this psalm from David, we pray in your name and for your glory, Jesus. Amen. I want to start this morning by suggesting to us that when I see this psalm, I see a reward in waiting. There is actually, when we wait for God to show up, there's actually some good things that happen. David had many times in his life when he waited. Imagine being a shepherd with sheep and he would have waited, like he would have taken them to a pasture and they would have been at this pasture and what would he have done? He would have waited and it says that he, he would have written songs and he would have played instruments and he would have been protecting the sheep but there was just a lot of waiting as the sheep ate and found a place to drink and found a pl place to rest. They just would have been a lot of waiting and so I think David learned to wait. He was also anointed by Samuel to be the king, and yet there was another king in place, King Saul, and so he had to wait to become the king. 
and he waited. He had opportunities to push it, to say, I don't need to wait anymore. And he could have taken his, his Saul out of the picture, and then he would have become king, but he kept waiting. So as I look at this psalm, I just see this idea of, of him waiting and waiting and waiting for God to do something. And it was important that he waited because as he waited, he knew that God was going to show up. In verses 1 to 3, we see that God rescues. When he says, I waited patiently for the Lord. And then he says, this is what happened. He turned to me. He heard my cry. He expresses how God answers him. He heard my cry. Do you know that when you cry out to God, he hears you. You might say, but where's the answer? The answer can be wait. Not yet. Wait. Depend on me. I'm going to respond. Are you willing to wait for me? He heard God hears our cry. I love the picture that he paints in verse 2 of, of being lifted out of a slimy pit don't know if you've ever fallen into a, a place that was muddy. One of the things that I've noticed about when we moved to Saskatchewan, I wasn't used to the type of soils that you have here. So when it rains, I remember taking my almost new car out on a, on a road that was not looked after. So like, like a farmer's field. And if you've ever done that and driven out there, you know how the mud starts to cake up on the wheels and gets thicker and thicker. And I think it was to the point where the, my back wheel, because of the front wheel drive, the back wheels of my car wouldn't turn anymore. Not sure what we did about that, but I, I, I remember being on a Sunday and I remember being in really good clothes and getting very dirty. You know, being in that miry, dirty place. And so the, the, David, as he's writing this, is talking about this place of being stuck of not knowing what to do and, and crying out to God, God, get me out of my lostness, my hopelessness. You know, as I read this, I, I, hear, I hear depression. You know, often depression is like a pit. I, I haven't suffered with a lot of depression. I've talked with many people who have. I think there are times where I've gone sort of into that darker place and not known, and it feels hopeless. And depression is that place of hopelessness. And here the psalmist says, you lifted me out of that place, that God rescues us. Notice how he describes God's response. You placed my feet on a rock, a firm place. You've given me a new song, a hymn of praise. You see, when God rescues us, people hear, they respond in the end of this section, it's talking about seeing, fearing, trusting, all of these things that we see and then God shows up and we say, this is what's happening. As I waited patiently for the Lord, He comes along and He rescues me. In verses 4 and 5, the, the psalmist gives a bit of reflection. There's this reflection and I encourage us to reflect. He turns and looks at the focus of, of the rescue from God and he, he says this word again, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. The one who's favored, the one who's content. There's this trust, this not to turn to my own ways to figure things out, but to trust. Blessed is the one who trusts. 
He says, doesn't look to the proud, doesn't turn aside to false gods. So often we want to solve our own problems. And I'd suggest to us this morning that so often that's about our pride. I'm going to do this on my own. I don't need God. I can do it by myself. The psalmist is saying, no, turn to God. Wait for him. Don't don't go there. Don't turn to some false expectations for this to be solved. As we think about living our, our life this way, we're reflecting on how do we make decisions? How do we listen to the Holy Spirit? How do we move forward together as a church? How do we move forward together as a family? As you, as you make decisions as an individual, are we willing to wait and listen and get confirmation from the Lord? There's the idea here of many wonders. Uh, he talks about the things planned for us. No one is like you. There are so many acts of mercy and power they are as he says at the end of verse 5 too many to declare to think about what god is doing what he has done in the past what he wants to do in the future then in verses 6 to 8 it talks about god's provision now we're going to come back to these three verses in just a minute because i want us to i'm going to i'm going to explain why this psalm is really important to us this morning So I'm going to go through this as David's writing it, but we're going to come back to it, and I'm hopefully going to give us about 10 minutes at the end just on these three verses. So David here speaks of what God truly desires. Sacrifice and offerings, he says, you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. It's like, hold it a minute. He's living within a sacrificial system. It's like, really? Those sacrifices aren't required? It's like, I thought they were and if you look at David's life and you read you know the book of Samuel where David's life is unpacked you'll say oh no there were sacrifices they were offering sacrifices what does he saying here he's actually speaking beyond himself and that's what we'll talk about in a few minutes but right now he's saying you know what the most important thing isn't that we go to the temple or isn't that we go to the tabernacle uh, where the sacrifices were made yeah that's not as important as that centerpiece where he says this but my Ears you have opened. What is he saying there? Listening to God and following him is more important than doing those outward acts of sacrifice. He goes on and he talks about, I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. You see, this sacrifice is about what's going on inside us. And when what's inside us is tuned with God, and we understand our relationship with God, then our outward actions reflect that. I think he's even thinking forward to when the nation of Israel actually turned away from God. They probably kept doing the sacrifices, and they maybe added other sacrifices, and did this and that. And and we'll look a bit later about how did God respond to that? There's this sense of, there's a future here as he's writing. The psalmist is writing, he's thinking not about right this moment, but about what could be moving forward. So we see here a foreshadow of Jesus. David's heart certainly was to do God's will, but he wasn't able. None of us are. He says, put your law in my heart. That actually comes with Jesus. 
So we're going to look at those, why we're going to come back to these verses in a minute. In verses 9 and 10, he talks about speaking out, about celebrating what God has done. He shows he's worshiping, he's sharing what God has done openly. He says, I, you know, it almost reads in a weird way in verse 10, I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. And it's like, what? What? It's like, no, no, what it means is I speak out about it. I talk about it. Listen, this is who God is. This is what he's done. This is what he's doing in me and through me. And so I express that. He wasn't hiding God's ways. A description of how you and I, we need to be ready to give a response to anyone who asks. I heard a story this week, and I won't give any names because I probably don't have permission to share it, but they, they may, they, you're not going to know who it is. Somebody was sitting in their home this week, outside, reading Scripture. Just sitting, reading their Bible, having, probably having their devotions. And I heard that their neighbor was, happened to notice them sitting there, probably across the fence, and actually said, so what, what, are, you, what are you reading? It's like, well, I'm, I'm, reading, I'm reading my Bible. I'm reading the Bible. And the neighbor's response was positive and was like, that makes me feel awesome that you're reading your Bible. Being willing to give a response. Sometimes we get, I think we get a little bent out of shape. Like, how do we say this? Uh, I know as I travel uh, and I run across people like, so what do you do for a living? And I talk about, I work for no, a nonprofit organization. You know, that's Forest Grove Community. I work for a nonprofit organization. And they're like, oh, yeah, okay. And what do you do? Well, I, 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 I go there and I help them with leadership transitions. Oh, really? What's that about? And so as we, then all of a sudden the conversation opens up and I can talk about, yeah, it's actually, you know, it's a local church. Really? And these are the ministries that they do with young people and young adults and with kids and how they have relationships and partnerships around the globe and Often people don't understand what's happening and so to share some of the good stories. And that's exactly what David is saying here. We need to be, what am I sharing? What story do I have that God has spoken to me? And do we do it with each other? You know, every, you know do we, are we able to share, this is what God has done this week. This is a word that we heard from the Lord that we can share with each other when we come together on Sunday morning. So we learn to speak out, to give a response to anyone who's asking. Then verses 11 to 17, there's sort of a renewal here as he's writing. He renews this idea of waiting. So it's, it goes almost back to the beginning and saying, okay, I'm waiting for God now to act. Verses 11 and 12 talks about David's problem. He asks for mercy, God's mercy and protection, the troubles that are from without, his enemies and those that are from within. And he talks about his sin. He talks about things surrounding him and again it looks like he goes from like this peak of the mountain back down into the valley and that's what i love about the psalms it's like it's so real you know there's mountaintop experiences we have in like yes and then there's valley experiences in in one psalm he you know goes up and down and up and down we see that movement and it's like you know what this person who's writing is real He's talking about his problems, being surrounded from without, and then his sins, which are in his heart. He's just looking at that, and he's looking at the consequences of sin. Keep on coming. He's desperate. He talks about the hairs of my head. Now, David said, it's said that David was, you know, really 
pretty good looking. And so I would guess he had a really nice head of hair as a young man. So, you know, when young people grow, their, like when guys grow their hair long, I like, knock yourself out, it's limited. <laughs> David saying, all of, all of this, I'm overwhelmed by my sin. I'm overwhelmed, I just don't know what to do with it. And he's, as his desperation comes, he's crying out to God. And yet, notice that his hope, his hope is in God. His hope is in God alone. He talks about his enemies in verses 13 to 15. A deep cry for God to move, to rescue him. Even in waiting, I would encourage us to say, in waiting, we need to be crying out to God. You know, we could say, God, when are you going to answer What's the next thing? I, I mean, I could share with you times in my life where it's like, I just want to know what's next. And the only word that I would get from God would be, just wait. Like, I'm just not good at that. I don't want to wait. I want to actually know. So he focuses, the psalmist is focusing, David's focusing on those who are after him. And you think about his life, read some of his life and go, when, was this a time when Saul, the king at that time, was chasing him? Or was it when one of his sons was trying to take over the throne? He do, we don't know where this psalm was written. People are looking to him and saying, "Ah, oh, how can God be with him? What happens when bad things happen in our lives? People go, well, you're a follower of Jesus. I thought everything would be perfect. That's not what God's promised us. Promised to be with us. He's promised to walk with us. He's promised to never leave us or forsake us. He doesn't say, I'll make your life easy. I'll make your life meaningful. I'll give you a full life. But there's a lot of brokenness in our world, and we see it all around us. And people were saying to the psalmist, How can God be with you? And yet, the psalmist, in his honesty, says, Would you would you point out to them? their own shame. God, it's not up to me, it's up to you. Would you be the one who would point it out? And then he focuses back at the end of the psalm in verses 16 and 17, just where's our help? Where does our help come from? We see the shift now as he described, he describes God's work. He talks about seek, rejoice, be glad. He says these words, say aloud, the Lord is great. Now this morning, you might be sitting here, and I look at this and I go, you know, that, that's really a, an act of faith. In the moment, David might have said, I'm in the miry pit. But my faith is going to declare that God is great. In the midst of the hard struggles, a faith statement is God is great. When you gather on Sunday morning, there's Sunday mornings. If you're like me, you probably have come on a Sunday morning like, I don't know why I'm here. I don't want to sing. I don't feel like celebrating at all. My week has been hard. This has been difficult. And yet you come and an act of faith is to say, I'm going to choose to worship God this morning. I'm just going to choose it. I don't feel like it, but I'm going to say yes as an act of faith. And that's what, the, that's what he's saying here. The Lord is great. It's just a call of faith, no matter where we are. This morning, would you, as an act of faith, would you respond with me and do exactly what it's written here? 
So the Lord is great. Can you say that aloud with me this morning? So let's do that together. One, two, three. The Lord is great. So that's a response of faith. You might say, I don't know where you are. I don't know if you're great. But the psalmist is saying, God is great. The Lord is great. Statement of faith. I believe that God will show up. He talks about, uh, I love the words throughout Scripture, if you ever want to pick up words, the word but. Just keep looking for that word, but, but. And in verse 17, he says, but. But as for me. And then he talks about who he is. I am poor and needy. We're talking about the king. Now, maybe this time he wasn't king. We don't know again. Could have been Saul, and he's been anointed. He knows he's going to be the king. That hasn't happened yet. And he says, but, and he declares his position before God in that as I am poor and needy. And that just is, to me is so real. For us to come before God and say, I'm poor and needy. And then notice it doesn't end there. He says, may the Lord think of me. And he does. And then he goes on and said, you are my help my, and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. Don't delay. So when we recognize who we are, like in, when we're in our dark places, God is there and we cry out to him. And just looking at this response that as David writes this, where he talks about my help, my deliverer, my God. And he ends with waiting. Don't delay. Starts with, I waited patiently. In the end, he says, don't delay. I need you to come. I need you to show up. So that's the, this psalm. Let's go and take a deeper look at these three verses that I talked about. So this is actually called a messianic psalm. Why? Because part of it focuses us forward into the life of Jesus. So some of the things that are written here are not actually part of David's life. He's writing in a prophetic, forward-looking way. So let's look at this very quickly. So in verse 6, at the beginning of the verse and at the end of the verse, he shows this limitations of an old system. The sacrificial system was good. But this is pointing to a future where the sacrifices will no longer be needed. Where it says, you do not require them. Well, that's not in David's time. That's, That's the future thing. That's pointing us toward Jesus. Amos the prophet said these words in Amos 5, I hate, I just, and he's speaking for God, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring me choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Why? David actually gets to it in this psalm where he talks about our heart. Our heart isn't there. We're just doing this outward stuff. It's like, actually, it needs to start inside. For the nation of Israel, it had become a ritual without meaning, without life change. Derek Kidner, in his commentary, says this, David outruns it by speaking as if his self-offering will be the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. If this is the implication of his words, he's not speaking for himself but for the Messiah. We're looking forward. 
I love it when writers who didn't know what exactly, I mean, there were some implications for the day, but there's some future implications. And you and I get to unpack those things as we look at, like, we have more history. We have more, we understand things, and it's like, yes, and we need to understand them. The next thing I want you to notice in verse 6b is this act of an open ear to hear and act. An open ear to hear and act. The idea of listening and hearing God speak is so important. But it's also not just the ear, but it's the giving of the life. You see, when we hear things and then we respond to them, they change our life. The picture here, some of the commentaries would say that you could look at Exodus 21, 1 to 6, and we don't have time to go there, but I'll explain to you what it is. It is when a person who, in a time of deep financial need, would sell themselves to another person for a period of up to six years. On the seventh year, they were to be set free, and their debt was to be paid off. So this is like financial transactions in the Old Testament. However, if they wanted to remain a slave to be owned by that person, because maybe it was, it was good. They got married. They were given a wife. They had children. And if you read Exodus 21, so if they left, they would have to leave the wife that was given to them during their slavery. They would have to leave the children that they had during that time of slavery. And so they would choose, so they could choose to say, I will be a slave for life. Now, slavery wasn't beating and killing and abusing. You know, Old Testament is super clear that this was a financial transaction. There's just no other way to do it. There were no banks. There were no credit. There was no such thing as credit. You would get yourself in trouble. And, and then there was this readjustment that would take place in the year of Jubilee, where at 50 years, everything was supposed to shift back. If you look at the history of Israel, that actually, I think, only happened once in its, all of its history where there was this readjustment, a financial shift. So in this particular instance, they would say, I want to remain your slave for life. And what they would do then is they would take this person to the doorpost of the house, and they would take an awl that you would use with woodworking, and you would pierce their ear. And the piercing of the ear would say, this person is now owned by this other person. Now that you know, that we sort of kind of aren't certain about that. What I want you to think about is this. Where in the, when we look at the book of Exodus, which we studied, and you can go back and read it, but when, the, in the book of Exodus, they took the lamb's blood, and where did they put it? On the doorposts. On the top and on the sides. The blood was there, what? So that the angel of death would go by the house. So as we think about that, it's like you'd go to that same place where the blood was shed, where the blood was put on the doorposts, and you would have your ear pierced and you'd become that person's slave for life. So this idea of, but my ears you have opened, has this concept of what happened with Christ. Jesus came to this earth and what did he do? He died on the cross. He was pierced. Not just his ear wasn't pierced, his hands, his feet, his side. He was pierced for us. His sacrifice. That's why it talks about you don't require sacrifices anymore. Why? Because Jesus is the final sacrifice. Jesus came and gave his life willingly for us. 
In Philippians chapter 2, 7, Paul writes it this way, Rather, Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. He came and made himself. That word servant is the same word for slave. He made himself a slave for us. Ernest Wilson, in his commentary, says it's a wonderful picture of the incarnation and of those permanent wounds, the tokens of his love for his church, which were made upon him at Calvary. This is what Jesus came to do. Reminds us of what Jesus has done when he was pierced. He gave his life for us. In verse 7, we see this coming So David writes, then I said, here I am, I have come. It's written about me in the scroll. I don't know, as he's writing that, what he's thinking. Is he thinking about, I'm a king, and so in in the books of Moses, which were in scrolls, was he thinking like, I'm going to be a king? But there's this sense in which, no, no, this is actually about the coming of Jesus, the incarnation. So it's written about in the Old Testament. The prophecies of Jesus from the Old Testament were fulfilled in his life. In 1 Timothy 3.16, it says, Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. And he speaks of Jesus. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up to glory. He's describing the work that Jesus did when he was here on earth and where he is at this moment. In verse 8, the beginning of it talks about God's will. The purpose was to do God's will. And David would have been committed to that, but he's also pointing forward. Jesus came and said, I'm here to do the will of my father. As a young person in the temple, when his parents came to find him, he was a child, and they said, you know, why are you here? He said, I'm here to do my father's business. He already knew it, like 12, 13, that his business was to be doing God's work. So his whole life was that. And in Luke uh, chapter 22, 42, it says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. And yet Jesus says, yet not my will, but yours be done just before the crucifixion. That's what he's saying. Not my will, but yours be done. So this psalm speaks to that. Then we see God's word here. The authority of Jesus was found in God's word. He came, Jesus came to fulfill the law. His authority in teaching and healing came from God. As Jesus would read the scripture in one particular instance. He said this in Luke 4.21, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And throughout his teaching, he pointed to the scriptures for his authority. This is what God has called me to do. Now you might wonder, why is this a messianic psalm? Well, it's actually quoted for us in Hebrews chapter 10. Verses 5 to 7. So we want to take a minute and just look at this Hebrews passage. We want to read it for us. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 to 10. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, and here's the direct quote from Psalm 40, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. That's the quote. First, and then we'll go on, and what does the Hebrew writer say? First, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am, I've come to do your will. He sets aside the first, the sacrifices, to establish the second, and by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ 
once for all. The idea here is if you pierce the ear, you get the whole person. Now you'll notice, if you were paying attention, this looks and sounds different in some instances than what we read in Psalm 40. Were you paying attention? What's the difference? Talked about the ear in Psalm 40, and it talks about a body in Hebrews. Why? What's the difference? Well, in, the, in, in Psalm 40, this is a direct translation from the Hebrew, whereas the writer to the Hebrews in Hebrews 10 is actually using the Greek translation of exactly the same text. And in the Greek translation, they use the word body. So in the same way that a slave's ear would be pierced and you get the whole person, they just went right there and said, a body you have prepared for me. Just so you understand the differences. The sacrifices were not desired by God or pleasing to him. What? Due to the lack of the heart. Due to the lack of meaning and intention. It sets aside the sacrifices. Jesus said, I come to do your will. Be the complete and final sacrifice. You and I have been made holy by Jesus' sacrifice for us as we accept it once for all. No further sacrifice is needed. There's a lot more we could do with this. I encourage you, if you want to go deeper with this, go to the questions that are on our website. Uh, there's discussion questions there. You can use them personally. You can use them in a small group. Uh, you can use them uh, with a friend, however you want to use them. But if you want to go deeper with this, you can explore this much more deeply than we have time for this morning. Our response this morning can be a couple of things, and one of them will be communion. So if you need a communion cup, if you just slip up your hand, we'll make sure that you get one. So if you just need something, just make sure you slip up your hand, and we'll make sure that we get you something. And if, again, if you're watching online and you need to pause this and, and get some elements together, that, uh, that would be great. Our response can be a couple of things, and I really hope that we would think and pray about that, not just today, but this week. First of all, what about this idea of waiting? Waiting on God. Stopping and asking God for help. Bringing our concerns and needs to Him. The, the psalmist is just so good at that. He takes time to, to ponder and to think. And our, our life can be very fast-paced, but you know what? We can set our pace. We can choose. And so we can choose to, and we need to choose to be a little bit more on the patient, the waiting side of things. So I would encourage you to say, God, where am I impatient? Where do I need to wait for you to show up and not run ahead? Second response would be that we're living in the power of Jesus' final and complete sacrifice on our behalf. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you can say, Jesus paid it all. He didn't pay half. He didn't pay what happened in the past. He didn't pay what happened today. He paid everything, past, present, and future. All of our sin has been paid for. And we come to him and just say, thank you, Jesus, for the power of what you have done on the cross for us, that our sin is no longer held against us because Christ has taken it for us. We now have this relationship with God that we could never have without Jesus. And so that leads us this morning to communion. We do this regularly to remind us that Jesus paid the price for our sin and that no further sacrifice is needed. That's why we do communion. It just reminds us. 
And I, I, I have a word of caution for us this morning. And that would simply be this. It could just become an empty ritual. In the same way that the nation of Israel would go and make sacrifices and would kill animals and their blood would be spilt and they'd, be, you know, they'd do all of this work and yet their heart wasn't there. So as we gather together this morning, I really want us to stop and ponder and say, Lord, where's my heart this morning? Where's my heart? You see, if you and I can take communion this morning not because We've been great, but because we can repent. We can be the writer here who talks about my sin is before me. And yet we just take it and we say, Jesus, thank you that you've taken my sin. You're the one. I celebrate that this morning. And I take communion together. I love the idea of that Jesus gave us when he, when he gave us, uh, when he uh, suggested that we needed to use elements practical things. Isn't that great that we can use some very practical things in this day and, and just things that we have? So I've been in other cultures where we do communion and it's, uh, in Thailand it's rice and water. It's what they have. You use what you have. And so Jesus didn't say it has to be exactly, you know, this. He said, just remember this symbolizes, this represents what God has done. So we take things, and, and then I love the symbolism of taking it, and what do we do with it? We don't pour it out on the ground. We actually take it, and what do we do? We eat it. So when you eat something, it becomes part of who you are. And when we eat this, we're saying, Jesus, you are in my life. You are in me, and I am in you. And we are joined together. That's powerful and so as we take communion this morning that's what we're doing we're saying jesus you are in me and i am in you you gave your whole life my response is i give my life to you because you've given me everything and you have a purpose for me let's pray together father we thank you that you are the one who has provided the way through your son jesus christ that even as David wrote Psalm 40, he, were, he was writing things that he may not have completely understood, but your Holy Spirit was guiding him and writing them. And as we listen to that this morning, we, were, we look at you, Jesus, and we say thank you that you are the one who is the final sacrifice, that you are the one who brings forgiveness. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to just to come to you as the psalmist did and said, I'm broken. That can be us this morning. We're broken before you. Yet you're the healer. You're the one who puts our feet on a rock this morning. You're the one that we wait for and you come through. That you are great because you respond. Lord, I pray for each person in this room that you would bless them. Father, that you would encourage them today. Knowing that they can walk with you. For those who may not know you, Lord, I pray that this morning would be the opportunity to turn to you and say, Jesus, I need you. Thank you for loving me today. Lord, we pray this in his name and for his glory.